Bows and TKOs, we are live. Episode 12 coming at you on this beautiful Tuesday afternoon in the 406. And boy, am I still hyped after that Sugar Show knockout. The new and new bantamweight champion of the world. <clears throat> what an amazing UFC 292 card that there is to break down. A shit ton of fights and things that have happened around MMA. Some PFL action to break down. And most importantly, um, we also have a fight card, the Singapore card, early this weekend going down. I'll be heading back to the desert, the valley, this weekend, uh, this Thursday. So just trying to soak in the last few days. I'm actually getting ready to, to hit some holes after this. Got my golf attire on. Um, but yeah, I'm your host, Shane Gillette. Bows and TKOs, episode 12 coming at you. And... Uh, Let's just uh, recap the weekend. I mean, what a weekend it was. Friday, got to go out on the lake, get a little surf session in. It was a little windy and choppy earlier in the day, but we went and hit the Flathead River where it's usually a little calmer. Got some nice surf sessions in, got some Mexican dinner to then set up for a full uh, scholarship golf scramble on Saturday here in Ronan. So got to get some good golf in all day, get the juices flowing, have a couple couple bevies and some good vibes before the massive Boston UFC 292 card that we had here. My friend, you know, Dakota's one up me. He's got an 86 inch television, so got to watch it in all of its glory. And the card was decent, but the main event, golly, what a main event! 406 representing Sugar Sean O'Malley. Everything he's ever said he was going to be, a new star is born. He's already been a superstar, but that next level of stardom is upon us. So let's just jump right into the MMA action. We have some great fights that have been booked. A lot of them for um, <clears throat> early and late fall. We have um, 206 local Chase Hooper taking on Jordan Levitt, November 18th. That'll be a fun one to see the, the continued growth from Chase Hooper against a pretty solid Jordan Levitt. Uh, speaking of young guns, we have Raul Rosas Jr. taking on Terrence Mitchell September 16th. That's another very young stud that we're looking to see the, the continued growth and development in his MMA game after his first loss. We have Kung Ho Kong versus John Castaneda November 18th. Uh, Kong looked really good in his past few fights. And Castaneda is a gamer, so that should be a great matchup. We have Daniel Pineda taking on Kusain Askabov, October 7th. Cesar Almeida versus Christian Leroy Duncan, November 18th. I just really like the striking ability of Christian, so always going to be tuning into his fights. We have Marina Rodriguez taking on Michelle Watterson Gomez, September 23rd. A pretty much must win for the Karate Hottie. And Marina Rodriguez, a good, powerful striker. That should be a, a must-see affair for fight fans. Always game, the Dirty Bird. We have Tim Means taking on Andre Fialho, September 23rd. I wouldn't say a must-win, but both guys looking to get that momentum train going. So a, a lot on the line for both fighters there. We have Elves Brenner coming off that great win, taking on Esteban Rabovics. November 14th, two Dana White Contender Series alums going at it. We have Kevin Holland and Jack Della Maddalena. 
official September 16th. We talked about it potentially being a fight and being rumored. So that fight is official. Can't wait for that stylistic striking affair. We have Elizao Zaleski and Renat Fakhradinov, November 4th. Another high um, IQ fight, high quality striking. Renat's been steamrolling everyone. Can he continue to do that as he uh, leaps up in competition? We have Rodolfo Vieira and Armin Petrosian, November 4th. Excited to see Armin back in there. Rodolfo is a, is a firecracker. Angela Hill and Denise Gomes, November 4th. See the veteran Angela look to add to her record book and resume. A very intriguing fight. We have Michelle Pieta and Marc-Andre Berrio, uh, October 14th. Um, the crazy strikes that Pereira bring and the uh, insane cardio that Marc-Andre Berrio brings. That's going to be a very, very fun fight. We have Jessica Andrade taking no time off. Probably the most active fighter in the UFC right back in there taking on a very good Mackenzie Dern at UFC 295. Uh, so a lot on the line there for Andrade and another opportunity to get back up in the top of the ranks for Dern. Just booked today, we have Christian Rodriguez and Cameron Simon, October 14th. Uh, so a good slate of new fights that have been booked. Also around the UFC, Daniel Rodriguez tests positive for Osterine. There's been a lot of micro uh, positive tests on Austria in the past few years. So he will not be fighting in September against Santiago Ponzanibio. It will be interesting to see if they delay that fight or rebook an opponent for Santiago. Also on the drug test front, Myra Buena Silva today shared that she failed a drug test during her fight week against Holly Holm. I'm not too sure what it is or what the stipulations will be there, uh, but no good for Myra. She was stating something about ADHD medication that she takes. And then Kai Kara France is out of his fight against Manel Kopp due to concussions. So insert Felipe Dos Santos, who was supposed to fight today for the Dana White Contender Series, but his opponent missed weight. So he's already in the UFC taking on a very, very good Manel Kopp. And um, really bummed that, that fight didn't happen. I thought that was the must-see stylistic box office affair in the flyweight division. We put that on Matchmaker Monday, and uh, you know things happen in the UFC, but really bummed. I hope that fight comes to fruition later down the road. We had Chris Dacus, Alexa Kamor, Tanner Bozer, and Ian Heinish officially off the UFC roster. Um, you know, Heinish hasn't fought for quite some time. I feel like that's a guy that might make a comeback. Brutal affair for Tanner Bozer, who's gone down to light heavyweight, and as well as Chris Dacus. So some good names now off the UFC roster as the young um, new generation of MMA fighters are continuing to take over. And then we had PFL last Friday. Not really great fights, but the fights we broke down, we had Renan Fajeda with a round one knockout over Maurice Green, John Jones, uh, training partner, the Crochet Boss Ultimate Fighter alum. Not too surprised about this. Fajeda looks like a problem Looks like he could potentially be a UFC scrapper. And then Larissa Pacheco, 10, 12 seconds it took for the round one TKO over Olena Kolesnik. And I could have, you know, definitely uh, been guaranteed that Larissa was going to win that fight. But golly, to do it that quick, slight work. Um, she's just light years ahead of the other women in the division. And then Dennis Goldslav with the round one submission via arm triangle over the 
dual sport athlete, the ex-footballer, Jordan Heiderman. Um, those are some of the highlights as these people have earned themselves into the championship that's happening in November. And tomorrow we have another PFL event. Let me pull up. I'm assuming it's on ESPN. It's a, one of those weird Wednesday cards. The last of the playoffs uh, before the finale in Madison Square Garden, November 24th. This one will be at 4.30 p.m. Pacific um, on ESPN. Uh, this is also at MSG, and that will be happening uh, tomorrow afternoon. And we have some pretty solid fights. Uh, we have um, Shane Burgos, probably the most ticketed and biggest name in the PFL coming from the UFC, taking on Clay Collard. Um, Shane Burgos actually eliminated from the playoffs. Some weird situations. He got a position. He has to take advantage. If he loses another PFL fight, um, I, I believe the rocket ship is trending down and you know everything he wanted to do in the PFL definitely not playing out the way he had wanted to. We have Oliver Aubin Mercier OAM taking on Bruno Miranda, which you know really sets up the potential for some fun potential finale fights. Sadabu C and Carlos Leal, and then Megomed Megomed Kiramov versus Solomon Renfro. So I expect tomorrow's card to be better than the last one, um, but the finale's really you know where it's going to really be worth tuning into. Uh, but I'll check in on the PFL this Wednesday. But we had UFC 292. I went 9-2 and two on picks. I posted on Instagram on accident that I had picked Sean O'Malley. As you guys know that tuned in, the Boza TKO loyalist shout out. Um, I did not pick Sean O'Malley. You know, I, I tried to take my biases aside. I really wanted to pick him. I ended up not picking him. Uh, tried to talk uh, of the value that Sean's bringing and the potential for him to find pass to victory. So um, on the picks, it looked like I went 10 and one, but I, I technically went nine and two was so close to hitting uh, a few parlays and really making some nice bread. But I had picked the Austin Hubbard fight in a lot of parlays. I thought Hubbard was for sure going to take over the older Kurt Hollibaugh. Clearly that was not the case. So I took an L there Did not hit some fat parlays, but made some fat bread on the Sean O'Malley finish. I bet money on Sean O'Malley finishing the second, third and fourth. So if and when he does get the finish, I have more to celebrate. So I ended up positive on the weekend. So far on Bows and TKOs, we are 74 and 47. Tune in for those good picks. We're going to keep it rolling this week. Um, but some good fights that we did not break down. Kareen Silva with the round one submission via guillotine choke over Myra, uh, Myrna Moroz. And this was a rematch. Myra actually ended up getting the victory after pretty much losing most of the rounds. And this time Karina just hit her with the clean shot. Uh, Moroz was looking to just get her feet from under her. Wasn't able to do it. She locked in a nice guillotine choke and she actually enters the top 15 rankings. But in the early prelims, we are going to start where Natalia Silva had the unanimous decision over Andrea Lee. And uh, this is a, a, a big moment for, for Silva, uh, uh, quite the performance as Natalia made this her style of a fight. She kept the fight at distance, kept her footwork going like crazy for the three rounds. She showcased her speed and showcased she could outstrike a very good striker in Andrea. And Lee just didn't look herself. She looked confused, didn't throw a lot of volume as she typically does, which isn't like the traditional KGB Lee. 
Um, you know, Silva is very hard to track down. Reminds me a little bit about the, the footwork and the, the constant movement um, that Sean O'Malley provides. And she's going to be a problem for a lot of these women in the division, especially as she had Andrea Lee so concrete in, in her footwork. She wasn't moving. Her head movements weren't there. It looked like she was just trying to track down Silva the whole fight and couldn't let her hands loose. Her corner was begging her by the uh, round three to get it done. But we do need to see a little bit more from Silva. She landed some good strikes, but you can't just dance around the whole fight. You got to go in, pick your combinations, find your openings um, if she really wants to be a star. But she's still so young and has a lot of amazing traits that clearly she's going to be a problem in this flyweight division. Statistically, Natalia landed 70 total and significant strikes compared to Andrea's 43 total and significant. So a lot more volume than Andrea, but over the course of three rounds, 70 strikes, it's decent. But again, I do think that Natalia needs to work on picking that up. But of course, taking a big step up in competition, this was a big moment for her on a massive card. You know, I, I'm, I'm sure that there's some stepping stones and some learning curves that, that there needs to happen for Silva. But Natalia extends her winning streak to 10. She is 4-0 in the UFC. She does enter the top 15 rankings at number 13. If you don't know about Natalia Silva, tune into her fights. You're about to find out. And for Andrea, she extends her losing streak to three. She has not won since November of 2021. And I believe she was in the rankings prior, and she is not anymore. I believe that... Um, Karina Silva actually took her ranking. Let me double check on that though. Yeah, I believe it was Karina Silva that, that kicked her out of the top 15. So two Silvas, watch out. So what's next? Again, Natalia has a lot of the traits that helps make the Sugar Show such a dominant fighter uh, on the woman's side of things. I can see her fighting up again. Maybe the veteran Lauren Murphy or Amanda Ribas would be the fight that I would pick. But both of them being Brazilian, I don't know if that's a, a fight that they would actually, you know, consider. And for Andrea, she's definitely going to need a, a, a big win in her next fight as she is in desperate need of getting uh, back on track and keeping her roster spot. So how about a fight with Miranda Maverick? That would make sense to me. That's the fight to make. So book that ish. So we did get that fight. Moving on, we had Andre Petrovsky with a split decision victory over Gerald, uh, Gerald Mearshart. And um, this fight was ugly. I was expecting Andre, who I never thought too highly of, but definitely had grappling skills. Um, I started thinking a lot more of him coming into this fight. And this was a moment for him on a big pay-per-view card to really show the people. You know, he had the cheetah leopard print cut, which was terrible. But you could tell he was feeling himself a little bit coming into the fight. But the performance spoke for itself. It was not that kind of a performance. And and Gerald was close to still in this fight. Um Although Andre did sneak in the split decision win and I had him on my parlays, this wasn't the fight that you wanted to see from Petrovsky. It was definitely a clunker. The fight was close every single round. Both guys ended up being gassed and Petrovsky was lucky that he had the knockdown. I really think that swayed the judges or else this easily could have gone the other way. Um, when it came to Andre striking, he wasn't aggressive. He was just really kind of taking the fight as it came. Gerald was bringing the fight to him a lot. And um, he didn't really lean into the grappling. So it was just a weird game plan. I think he got a little bit of stage fright. Statistically, Andre did land 67 total 
uh, and 57 significant strikes. He did have two takedowns and five attempts, so wasn't super successful. A lot of those were exhausted attempts that were, were, were really half-assed attempts. And uh, he did have that one knockdown. Meanwhile, Gerald landed 92 total strikes, 76 of those significant with the takedown. He had three attempts, so didn't do amazing in his takedown attempts either. But he did have this statistical striking advantage. Again, I, I think without the knockdown, this was going to be a GM3 victory. So Andre's very lucky that he continues his winning streak. Andre extends his winning streak to five now, all in the UFC. And Gerald extends his losing streak to two. But he is four and three since 2021. He's had a couple of L's of recent, but since 2021, he's still on the winning track. Um, but very tough loss for Gerald. So what's next? I think a fight of two men that fought in the same night. Give me Andre and Brad Tavares. Two grappler having guys that are well-rounded. Both won on this card. It makes too much sense for me. And for Gerald, uh, he could do a scrap with Edmund Shabazian, who is in much need of a win as well. Edmund's due for an opponent. This just seems like a good one getting another veteran. Um, but I'm sure Edmund's going to be very specific in his opponents. Is he, he, he hasn't tasted victory in quite some time, and he still is so young. So that was the early prelims. Entering the prelims, we had the Ultimate Fighter finales. Which if you have not watched the Ultimate Fighter, listen to me break that down at all or discuss it. You know, I don't discuss the Ultimate Fighter in depth. I'm here for the, the fights each and every weekend. But Brad Katona, a training partner of Conor McGregor, was going to try to attempt to be the first two-time Ultimate Fighter finale champion. And boy, was this a close fight. I mean, there was a few very, very close fights, paper thin, and this was one of them. But Brad Katona ended up getting the unanimous decision over Cody Gibson and earned fight of the night 50 Gs. But what upsets me, you know, I had Brad on my parlays as well, so I really needed this. Um, I thought Cody's knee injury would pay, play more of a part and it didn't look to seem that bothering to him. But what annoys me is Brad should have never been here in the first place. It should have been Timor Valiev. And I'm pretty confident Timor would have been the ultimate fighting champion. And I really plead the case that he deserves to be in the UFC. I hope the UFC makes that happen. But regardless, this was a night for Brad Katona. And this fight was damn close. I actually thought that they may have gave, given the fight to Cody um, on the initial scorecards. I gave Cody round one for sure. Brad was a very slow starter. Um, wasn't really looking to do much besides one and two combinations. Maybe in a, a, a takedown attempt here and there. And then I did have Brad winning, winning round three. He is Superman for a reason. As the fight goes on, everyone else gets tired. That's where he shines. The guy's in great shape, phenomenal shape, and is shredded. Uh, but round two was very, 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 very close. I thought watching it live, Cody won that round and have should have won the fight, but that wasn't the case. And pulling up the round-by-round the -round stats here. Let's see. It'll be interesting to see what the UFC has listed here. I'm pretty positive Cody outstruck Brad in round two, and I don't think there was any major like takedown or top control events. So round two, Cody Gibson, 66 total strikes, 64 of those significant. Brad was 59 total, 58 significant, so did have less and was 0 for 2 on takedown attempts. You know, maybe on his one, you know, two-punch combination, that two hit a little bit harder than some of Cody's. But again, I thought real time that the judges were going to give it to Cody. So Brad itches out another close decision. 
And that's a big reason he's, you know, been removed from the UFC. Close decision fights, doesn't get a lot of finishes. He's really going to have to change that part of his game if he wants to have a long career in the UFC. Uh, but Cody looked great. In the Dana White press uh, post-interview, um, post-event interview, um, he said that a lot of the media was clamoring for Cody to get a UFC roster spot. And it seems like uh, Dana and, and the leaders of the UFC are leaning that way. So we may very well see two guys in the bantamweight division enter a UFC roster spot. When we look at the overall statistics, Brad landed 173 total strikes. 160 of those were significant. He was 0 for 2 in takedown attempts. And Cody landed 169 total strikes. 164 of those significant while going 0 for 1 in takedown attempts. So no takedowns and a lot of strikes landed. It was a brutal back and forth fight. Both guys took some serious shots, showed their toughness, showed their willingness to want to get back to the UFC and their durability. Um, Brad now extends his winning streak to five. Cody starts a new losing streak and moves to three and two since 2021. <clears throat> What's next for these guys? Well, I say just give me Brad, the ultimate fighter champion, and Brady Highstand, the other bantamweight ultimate fighter champion. Um, I think that would be an ideal matchup for both of them. And for Cody, it seems that Dana will give him a UFC contract. So how about Christian Rodriguez? That's what I had in mind. Christian Rodriguez got booked today, but he would probably fight someone on the very bottom of the bantamweight rankings to get back in. Uh, maybe he could fight someone like Ricky Tercios, another long-ranging fighter that was on uh, Brady Highstand's um, season. That's something that just came to the top of mind. So if Ricky, Tricky Ricky, uh, is, is still available, that could be the fight to make. And then the other finale championship, we had the veteran Kurt Hollibaugh with a round two submission via or via triangle choke over Austin Hubbard. And as good as Austin looked in his semifinal fight in the Ultimate Fighter house, this was a, a definitely a clunker for him. Um, Kurt landed more volume. Kurt had the grappling advantage. And Austin just didn't look like he really was going to try to get that UFC contract. He was a little hesitant in his movements. He just didn't look as good as he did in the house of the fighter that I thought he was. Uh, but props to Kurt. You know, uh, later in his 30s, he's back in the UFC. Let's see what he can do. Kurt landed 85 total strikes, 61 of those significant. He did have two submission attempts compared to Austin's 61 total strikes and 44 significant. And then Austin had two takedowns, but in six attempts. So Kurt now extends his winning streak to three. He gets his opportunity to finally seek his first UFC win. In his last go at it, he did not get a UFC victory. And Austin starts a new losing streak and is 3-2 and two since 2021. So what's next for Kurt? I could see some opponents like Demir Hadzovic or maybe Nicholas Moda. But again, welcome back. It's a great story. The veterans versus the prospects. You'd love to see those comeback stories. So we'll definitely be tuning in to Kurt's uh, UFC career here. His second take at it. And then another man I wish we got to see a little bit more of, but I am not surprised by this outcome. We had Gregory Robocop Rodriguez with a round one knockout over Dennis uh, Tullian. And there's not a lot to talk about. This fight did not last long. Gregory got a beautiful shot, and that's all it took. It only took Robocop six total strikes and five significant. He did get a takedown in two attempts. And Dennis only landed three total and two significant strikes. So Gregory, you know, he he, he likes to, to bang. 
He likes to risk it a little bit. He's been knocked out. He knocks out. But boy, is he an amazing show to watch. And he is just now in his prime. But he does start a new winning streak. He moves to 3-2 three and two since 2022. So he's been very active since he's entered the UFC roster. Even in that fight where he had that crazy cut on his head. And Dennis extends his losing streak to two. He is only 1-3 in the UFC. So... I can't wait to see RoboCop next. I would not be surprised if we see him get another fight by the end of the year. And I would love to see him take on Paul Craig, who has since moved down. Golly, can you imagine that fight? Or maybe the opponent Paul defeated, Andre Muniz, but he's right there on the edge of the top 15. And I'm always tuning in to RoboCop Rodriguez. Uh, the, you know, wherever RoboCop goes, it's going to be a banger. And against those opponents, certified don't blink box office affairs for Dennis. If he is still in the UFC, how about a fight with AJ Dobson? So we got all these fights, right? I got this fight right as well. Before the main card, Brad Tavares with a unanimous decision over Chris Weidman. And Brad had, you know, Brad did dominate. He, he led with a lot of leg kicks, low leg kicks, attacked the injured leg of Chris Weidman. The one that he, um, just got, um, you know, surgery on and recovered from after that nasty, nasty leg break. But I feel like Brad could have went in for the kill. I don't know if he respects Chris Weidman that much. He did not want to do that or what the case was, but it was just a weird affair. It should not have gone three rounds. Uh, Chris Weidman had to get out with a, a wheelchair. I mean, his legs got beat up, um, but there wasn't a lot of action. It was a lot of circle, circle, leg kick, leg kick, maybe one or two punches. And Brad really didn't try um, a, a ton of takedowns. You know, Chris did unsuccessfully. So I'm not too sure if this was just Brad giving Chris his flowers or what the hell the case was, but Brad did dominate. Brad landed 71 total strikes and 70 of those significant compared to Chris's 39 total and 37 significant. And Chris was 0 for 8 in takedown attempts. That's his bread and butter. But Brad Tavares is a problem. He's big. He's solid. He's, he's in his prime. And again, this was just really kind of a clunker from what we've seen Brad do lately. But maybe he didn't want to risk anything. He wanted to get back in the win column. Or maybe he just really respects Weidman like that. So Brad does end his two-fight losing streak and starts a new winning streak. Chris extends his losing streak to two. He is one and four since 2018. A lot of time off, not a lot of success. I assume Chris is going to retire or will be out of the UFC. Dana talked about it in his interview after the event that he would recommend he retire. So if he does try to fight again, I doubt it will be in the UFC. Maybe a PFL or who knows what kind of affair, a BKFC, who knows. And for Brad, there's definitely a lot of fun options. You know, he could fight guys like Robocop. I'd love to see that fight. He could fight Andre Muniz, Kelvin Gastelum once he recovers. There is not a lack of opponents. Any of those fights, I'm all in on those. So uh, really excited to see what Brad does from here. But moving on in the main card, we had the big bantamweight showdown. Sean said that he wanted Marlon Vera to win for a potential rematch in his first title defense if he wins. Well, Marlon Vera scraped by unanimous decision over Pedro Munoz. And this was a very Marlon Cheeto-like fight. Pedro landed more volume, really was controlling the rounds and the aggressor. Marlon did land the bigger shots, you know, bloodied up Pedro's face, had more damage. But really, 
nothing that really, you know, stuck out, you know, really ahad you or wowed you. And I, I think Marlon, after some of the clunkers that he's had of late and some of the losses, you would think would have that fire. He talks about how much he runs and how much he trains, and he's a great story. I want to root for the guy, but he just doesn't put it fully together in the cage. And yes, Pedro is one tough fighter. He's a quality fighter. Um, but if Marlon really wants the opportunity to, you know, stay in the top five and have those title shots, he's got to come out with some flash. He's got to take some risks. Um, but Pedro really was controlling majority of the fight. As the fight went on, you know, Cheeto picked it up. I would say Cheeto definitely won round three. But rounds one and two were pretty close. When we look at the total stats, Marlon did land 141 total and significant strikes. He was 0 for 1 in takedown attempts. And Pedro landed 113 total and significant strikes while going 0 for 1 in takedown attempts himself. So Marlon starts a new winning streak. He moves to 5 and 1 since 2021. And Pedro starts a new losing streak. He is 2 3 and 1 since 2021. And both guys stay at 6 uh, and 10 in the rankings. Pedro, 10, Marlon, 6. So what's next? I mean, we'll break this down further, but I do think we will see Cheeto versus Sugar 2. And for Pedro, you know, he's definitely in a tough spot after this loss, but maybe a fight with Ricky Simone is the one to make. Um, I think that would make a lot of sense, him coming off a loss as well. And then we had the other MMA lab um, student, Mario Batista, with the unanimous decision over DeMond Blackshear. I had Mario on a parlay, short notice. I thought it would be too much to overcome. I actually had DeMond Blackshear winning, winning this fight real time. I did not take super close eyes on it. It was kind of a back and forth, slow fight. Um, high IQ, you got to give credit to DeMond taking this on short notice. You have to give credit to Mario training for a completely different fighter. You're not worried about the take takedowns and grappling ability of Cody Garbrandt, but DeMond is, is pretty much a clone of Mario and his abilities and where his strengths are. Um, but I had Blackshear winning the fight. Uh, I haven't watched it back. Um, I had DeMond definitely winning round one and Mario definitely winning round three. Mario had the urgency. You could hear it from his corner and, and, and he put on a, a good performance in round three. But this is much like, um, what's the other fight? Oh, the Petrosky fight. Round two was damn near impossible to pick. It was super close. I had Blackshear real time. And um, looking at the, the round-by-round stats, DeMond clearly dominated round one, 38 total strikes to Mario's 27, and he had four takedowns and five attempts. Although Mario got right back up, he was controlling the fight, had top control, and had more strikes. Round two, he outstruck Mario by uh, 10 strikes. He was 44 total, 40 significant by Blackshear. 34 total, 32 significant by Mario. So eight less significant, 10 less total strikes. And both were 0 for on their takedown attempts. Mario was 0 for 5. Um, DeMond was 0 for 2. And then round three, Mario landed a lot more, had the takedown advantage. It was kind of a flip-flop around one. So even if you look at those stats, um, DeMond should have won the fight. I was rooting for Mario, wanted him to win. I'm happy that he won. But we have to give the credit for DeMond. Seven days, the kid's... You know, scratching the surface of his prime, he's taking these chances, you know, basically fighting on the edge of the top 20 in the bantamweight division, the deepest division in the UFC. Watch out for this guy. He's a stud. He's he's well-rounded. And I was just massively impressed. 
I thought we'd see a little bit more of a performance from Mario personally. When we look at the total stats of the fight, Mario or Demond landed 108 total strikes, 90 significant. He had four takedowns and seven attempts. I'm surprised he was able to get those takedowns uh, that easily on Mario. And Mario landed 102 total, 79 significant with two takedowns. So he had less total, less significant by about 11, two less takedowns and three more attempts, 10 attempts, two for 10. That, that's brutal. But he did have the one submission attempt. So either way, Mario is the winner. He extends his winning streak to five. He is now seven and two in the UFC. And Blackshear ends his two-fight winning streak. He starts a new losing streak. He is two, two, and one in the UFC. But his stock is rising. I can't wait to see what he does next. So what is next? Give me Damon and Julio Arce or Cody Garbrandt, who just lost. I think he's ready for, for that level of competition. And for Mario, how about a fight with Davey Grant? I think both guys, again, very well-rounded, uh, are willing to take the strikes. I think that would be a phenomenal, phenomenal bantamweight, you know, main card potential fight. And another, uh, well, we got all the fights right from here on out, but the main event, technically. Um, but another superstar young prospect, Ian Machado Gary, with the unanimous decision over Neil Magny. And with the dominance that he had in this fight, you know, it is a little bit bummer. Uh, uh, of a situation that he did not get the finish but there was a lot of animosity and weird storylines leading up to this fight <clears throat> the open workout ian had in the irish pub i thought that was phenomenal that was amazing could you imagine being in boston being a fan of, or from ireland and having your fighter open workout in the pub you know pull a couple back uh, i love shit like that ian is doing so well marketing himself He's doing a ton of work on social media. He's been traveling the world, doing video blogs about it on his YouTube. This kid is a star in the making. And the pre-fight interviews, I wasn't a huge fan of, fan of. It was interesting, though, with Neil's comments about, you know, handling a whooping and with this kid. He's going to give that whooping to Ian. Ian took that super literal and personally and wouldn't let him speak and said, no one should be beating their, guy, their sons, blah, blah, blah. I think Neil was kind of speaking hypothetically and Ian is 25 years old. He didn't grow up in our generation. I got whipped. I got beaten. I'm not saying that's okay, but I think it was just so out of context. Um, the pre-event interviews and media days that they have now, just ever since Connor, they're just eerie. They're yucky. Guys are trying really hard. I thought Sean did pretty well in it, but Ian, it was just, it was cringeworthy, man. But enough about that in the fight. Ian completely dominated. I mean, he took the legs out on Neil Magny. It was, you know, hop, hop, boom, leg kick, hop, hop, boom, leg kick, both legs. He dropped Neil multiple times. Neil did have a couple opportunities in the clinch, but, um, you know, really had no success. He wasn't able to close the distance on Ian and, and get those strikes landed. <coughs> Excuse me. And it really was just complete domination. It was kind of a boring fight. Um, I was hoping that we would see Ian get the finish. But when we break down the stats, Ian landed 111 total strikes, 91 of those significant. He did have two takedowns uh, compared to Neil's 51 total strikes, 27 of those significant, and he was 0 for 2 in takedown attempts. So complete domination on the volume and really com complete domination in the fight. Coming into this fight, I posted on Bo's and TKO social media that there was potential that Neil was going to put Ian in positions he's never been in with takedowns up against the cage. 
and show him that there's a lot of development to do um, with the big talking and the superstardom that you say is to come. But that wasn't the case. Ian passed the test with flying colors. And again, this was another short notice fight. Ian's opponent pulled out. Neil came in with about 10 days out before the, the actual fight. And Neil's a gamer. He's very, very active like Jessica and Draj. He don't give a shit. He'll be fighting. Um, so you got to consider those a little bit. But Ian does stay undefeated. He's on a 13-fight winning streak. He is 6-0 in the UFC. He does move up two spots in the rankings to number 11. And Neil starts a new losing streak. He is 3-3 three three since 2022. He moves down one spot in the rankings to number 12. So what's next? I would say just rebook the Ian and Jeff Neal fight. Jeff's higher up in the rankings. Stylistically, that's going to make for a lot more intriguing affair. Uh, um, Ian talked about wanting to defeat all the guys on the way up and prove that he is worthy. He is still so young. You don't want to rush it, take a loss, ruin your confidence, ruin your mentality. So for me, that's the fight that's going to make sense. It allows um, Neil, you know, I, on the other end, I think he's going to have to take some time off, go back to the drawing board. He can't just keep jumping into fights. Um, he doesn't have a lot of that momentum on his side. But who knows with Neil? I think Magny and Nicholas Dalby would be a good next matchup. Nicholas, a veteran guy that's been moving his way up. You know, Neil kind of a gatekeeper at this point in his career. But either way, I think that's a great matchup. And then the co-main event, the dominant strawweight champion, Zhang Weilei, with the unanimous decision over Amanda Lemos. And this was a performance of the night, 50 Gs for the champion. And still, and you just have to love the effort that Weilei's put in, not only in the gym, training, going to Vegas, but trying to learn English, trying to be welcome to uh, the Vegas fan base, the United States fan base, and really the UFC faithful so she could be celebrated. As kind-hearted as she is as a person, she is a warrior and a savage when it comes to the octagon. And she dominated this fight. I'm surprised it lasted all five rounds, but Amanda Lemos is as tough as they come. She's in the, the title shot for a reason. And she did her best trying some jujitsu, <clears throat> had a couple chokes in, just didn't have position, wasn't able to sink them in deep enough, but made the fight a little bit interesting and, you know, made uh, Zhang think about what, what her options are and what kind of potential she has in the jujitsu game. But this was complete dominance. Zong was able to pick her up, slam her down, take her down, control her, outstrike her. Wherever the fight wanted to go, uh, Zong wanted the fight to go, that's exactly where it went. Breaking down the stats, this is so lopsided. Zhang landed 296 total strikes and 163 of those significant. She had six takedowns and seven attempts. So if she wanted it, she got it. And the knockdown. Compared to Amanda's 29 total and 24 significant with two submission attempts. So less than 30 total and 25 significant. While Zhang almost had over 300 total strikes. I took a photo of this. I think there was some records. Uh, the largest differential for a woman's fight in UFC history. Zhang Weilei. Watch out. She's a freaking problem. So Weilei extends her winning streak to three. Uh, and she has now defended her title two times. Amanda ends her two-fight winning streak and starts a new losing streak. She stays at number five in the rankings. I have a feeling the UFC is going to book Tatiana Suarez against Wei Lei. I do think the fight against Yang Shanyon uh, could be on the line as well. 
Uh, but it just it just feels like everything's in the tide of Tatiana. And for Amanda, how about a fight with Virna Jandaroba? She's up in the rankings, an opponent she hasn't fought yet. That would be the fight to make for me. But I just don't understand how anyone's going to be able to uh, defeat Zhang Weilei, except potentially Tatiana Suarez. And it really seems as Zhang is rounding out some of those potential weakness uh, weak spots that she's had that Rose has um, showcased, where it, it could provide difficulty for Suarez as well. But the fight that made the evening, that brought the life back in the arena and shocked the world with some of the most viewed um, social media reels, the most action, uh, so the biggest highlights. And really, it was the night of the motherfucking sugar show. Sean O'Malley with a round two TKO over Aljamain Sterling. Performance of the night, another 50 Gs. I watched an interview with Sean O'Malley on the Pat McAfee show this morning. He was in his tub with hundreds all around him, the, the, the championship belt. He's done his own podcast, been on a few interviews already since. And boy, if you thought Sean was a problem and was a star, it's about to go next level. And as he had his walkout song with Lupe Fiasco, a star is born, a new face of the UFC is born. And if you're not ready, strap in because you're either against him or riding with him. And uh, it was just crazy, all the press that had covered Sean. Uh, he had talked about the UFC working on a documentary for him. Everything is in place to make this guy uh, a skyrocket with an unlimited stock. He said in his post-fight interview um, that he wants to dominate this shit till 2035. He's only 28. He is the youngest active men cha male champion on the UFC roster. And just the way he presented himself post-fight, you could see him soaking everything in, not doing anything overzealously, enjoying the moment. And the fight was interesting <clears throat> because I thought Aljamain was going to try to get a takedown right away. And us talking heads and people that cover the sport think we know a lot of things, but I think a lot of fighters are realizing with the movement that Sean has, uh, the feints, the fakes, filling a couple of maybe as teep kicks or, or shots right away makes you wary of his power. It's hard to close that distance. It's hard to get him up the, against the cage. It's not that easy just to go and shoot a double, shoot a leg, try to get him down. And I think a lot more fighters are going to be wary of that watching the film because round one was all about Sean controlling distance, keeping Aljo at range so he can't shoot. Round two, he got a little overzealous trying to get a big movement to open up a takedown attempt. And Sean countered him with a beautiful right hand. It was shown in side-by-side -side and very side-by-side -side and reminiscent of the Conor McGregor knockout of Jose Aldo, who is Sean's idol. He said it, he said it over and over again. But with that shot, the, the Sugar Show is at an all-time high. He called for Marlon Chito Vera in December. He talked about coming into the fight injured having a muscle strain. He couldn't grapple up five weeks up to the fight. Couldn't do a lot of MMA sparring. The fact that he didn't pull out, he knew how much was at stake. That makes you want to even root for him even more. He's a dog. He's willing to do what it takes to be one of the goats, uh, to be one of the most talked about fighters in the sport. And he has all the traits. His team is prepared. I thought the highlight of the fight was Tim trying to talk shit after round one. The ref telling Tim to stop that. Um, but this is a fright train going to a destination and I'm not too sure who's going to stop him. Statistically, Aljo only landed 24 total strikes, 17 of those significant, and he was 0 for 2 in takedown attempts. 
And Sean landed 26 total strikes, 25 of those significant with that knockdown that ended the night. Sean extends his winning streak to five. He did have the no contest. So he is 10-1-1 in the UFC. And Aljo ends his nine-fight winning streak and starts a new losing streak. He moves into the number one contender role. I do think next will be Sean versus Cheeto. That's the fight that he wants. It makes sense to me because Corey is injured. I know Murab is, is recovering and wants to be there, but he does not put up big pay-per-view numbers. He does not sell fights. To Sean's point, the only time anyone talks about him is when he wears Sean's coat again. He's still living in that glory. So I do think that it will be Cheeto that skips the line. You know, there is a potentially for potential for Henry Cejudo, um, but I do not think it's going to happen in December with Sean nursing that injury. I don't think Conor McGregor fights this year, so there's no rush. I could see it ha happening in January, um, but everyone's going to be waiting every single day asking who his next opponent's going to be because everyone has their eyes on the motherfucking sugar show. Now, for Aljo, I think, you know, he talked about wanting the rematch. But I don't think he needs it immediately. I think he wants some time off. He was rushed in for this fight. He he didn't really have a choice in taking this fight at the time that he did. He's talked about nursing injuries himself. Uh, so if he does not get the rematch with Sean, I think he does stay at 135. He talked about the danger that the 145-pound division and Andre Volkanovsky possesses. I would like to see him take a rematch with Triple C. That was a great fight. It's a win-win fight for both of those guys. So stay tuned. But the night was all about Sean O'Malley, the Montana native, dominating the stage and really blossoming into the, the, the future champion. This weekend, we have a weird time for a card. We have an early morning card as it's in Singapore. UFC Fight Night Singapore prelims on ESPN Plus at 2 a.m. Pacific and the main card at 5 a.m. Pacific on ESPN+. Plus. I doubt I'll wake up for this. I'll, I'll watch the ESPN Plus On Demand back, maybe wake up in time for the main event. But it's a decent card. A uh, good fight that we will not be breaking down. Song Keenan is taking on Rolando Bedoya. That should be a great stylistic matchup. But in the prelims, we have Chidi Bang Bang Naquani, the 34-year-old fighter with a 22-9 record, taking on Michael Hussar Olekshik, the 28-year-old fighter with an 18-6 and record. Now, this is a fun high-level scrap in the prelims. I think it's going to deliver a lot of violence, which is great, uh, especially early in the card. Keep that momentum going on for the rest of the fights. Chidi's coming off two straight losses. I think he's somewhat in desperation mode uh, to get back on track and stay consistent. While, while McCall is looking for some consistency, He's only 28, not quite in his prime, while Chidi's right in his prime, so it's going to make for one hell of a banger. Chidi is an orthodox fighter. He has a black belt in BJJ. He's on a two-fight losing streak. Three of his last four fights have been fight of the night or performance of the night. He shows up, he bangs, he shows out. 14 of his 22 wins are via knockout. He is a Dana White Contender Series, LFA, Bellator, RFA, Legacy FC, and King of the Cage alum. He is a, uh, and he does have a six-inch reach advantage and a five-inch leg reach advantage. Michael has a blue belt in BJJ. He's on a one-fight losing streak and is two and two since 2022. Thirteen of his 18 wins are via knockout. Four of his six losses are via submission. 
Now, I think this is going to be a fight. Who can showcase and prove their power to each other? Who can take the big shots and handle some of that damage? I do not expect this fight to go past the second round. I am taking Chidi Noquani, but I'm avoiding him on a parlay. This is a toss-up of a fight and, and potentially has fight of the night all written all over it. In the prelims. Also in the prelims, we have Waldo Salsaboy Cortez Acosta. The 31-year-old fighter with a 9-1 record taking on Lucas Bresky, the 31-year-old fighter with an 8-3-1 record. Now, this is going to be another power striking showcase, and I'm excited to see who goes down. Waldo is on a one-fight losing streak. He is a Dana White Contender Series LFA and Bellator alum, and four of his nine wins are via knockout. Lucas is on a two-fight losing streak. He's a Dana White Contender Series alum, and five of his eight wins are via knockout. He does have an eight-inch reach advantage. We have some long, lengthy fighters on this card. Now, Lucas is 31 years old, obviously looking to get a UFC victory, so there's a lot on the line for him while he enters the UFC in his prime. And this is just going to be a very intriguing fight with two big power strikers. It should make for chaos. If you like violence, that's what this is all about. I am going to take... Uh, Lucas Bresky, but I'm avoiding it on a parlay. This is as close of a toss-up as it gets. Then moving on in the main card, we have Junior the Juggernaut Taffa, 26 years old with a 4-1 record, taking on Parker Porter, 38 years old with a 14-8 record. Now this is a battle of some big dogs, a power striker, and Parker who towards the edge of his career is in desperate need of a win. Junior is on a one fight losing streak, which was his UFC debut. He is a brave and risen alum and all four of his wins are via knockout. Talk about power. He's a Tafa. Um, it's in the bloodline. Now Parker is an Orthodox fighter. He has a black belt in BJJ. He's a Bellator alum. He's on a one-fight winning streak and is 2-2 two two since 2022. Six of his 14 wins are via knockout. Four of his eight losses are via knockout. The typical heavyweight to knock out or be knocked out. And he does have a three-inch reach advantage. Now, Parker is going to look to use his experience in my mind, take advantage with his IQ, put Toffa in bad situations where he can't let loose with his power strikes, Get him against the cage, dirty box, maybe to look to try to get a sweep or a takedown. And Junior is going to look to just stay patient, find his opening, measure up maybe a counter, measure up a power combo, and get this fight over early. I am going to take the veteran. I think he makes this fight uh, in, the, in the position that he wants it, does not fight a, a Tafa style fight. I am also not putting this on a parlay if possible. A lot of these fights are super close toss-ups. And then we have some high-quality MMA action on the woman's side of things. We have Aaron Cold-Blooded Blanchfield, a 24-year-old fighter with an 11-1 record and the number three next to her name, taking on Talia Santos, 30 years old with a 19-2 record and the number four next to her name. Now, this is another major stepping stone on the career trajectory for Erin. Again, she's only 24. The women that are coming into the UFC are so young and so talented. And Talia is well-rounded. 
I mean, she's a very good grappler. She gave Valentina Shevchenko everything she could sign up for. She has great experience because of those big-time quality fights, the five-round affairs, and she is a very, very durable fighter. Aaron has completely blown through the competition. I doubt that's going to happen in this fight, but I can't wait to see how it really lays out. Now, Aaron trains at Renzo Gracie Academy with a black belt in BJJ from the best of the best. She's been showcasing that over the past few fights. She is tied with Montana De La Rosa for second most submission wins in UFC women's flyweight division history with three. She's a Cage Fury and Invicta alum. She's on an eight-fight winning streak and is 5-0 in the UFC. Talia has a Muay Thai style with a blue belt in BJJ. She is a Contender Series alum. She's on a one-fight winning streak but was on a four-fight winning streak before the loss that she had against Valentina in her title shot. And 10 of her 19 wins are via knockout. Again, we're going to get a big learning lesson from Erin here. We should get the opportunity to see more of her striking and see how that's developed and what level she is out there with a very good striker and a woman who has 10 knockouts, which is not easy to come by. I guess I really wouldn't be surprised if Erin was able to steamroll Talia for a good position where she could get another submission victory, but I do, do believe Talia is, is going to be hard to hold down. She's going to get back up, and I think we'll see more of a striking battle here, which really makes it exciting. I can't wait. And as good as Talia is in her prime, I am going to take the young stud Aaron Blanchfield and am I avoiding it on a parlay because it's going to be a battle. <coughs> Moving on. We have Alex Bruce Leroy Caceres, the 35-year-old fighter with a 21-13 record and the number 15 next to his name. Taking on Giga the Ninja Chikadze. 34 years old with a 14 and three record and the number nine next to his name. It's about time. We finally get to see Giga back in the octagon. The way these guys have just non-traditional striking, it's going to make for a very, very fun striking back and forth. I do think both men are pretty much well-rounded and great everywhere in an MMA fight, but I wouldn't be surprised to see the fight go on the ground a little bit, maybe a little bit of jujitsu maybe even some judo type throws and, and a, a lot of kickboxing back and forth. Both men are really going to be measured. I think finding those openings, finding the holes in their opponent's games where they could take advantage, but breaking it down, Alex is a Southpaw fighter. Three of his last four fights have been performance of the night or fight of the night with a nickname like Bruce Leroy. You better show up and show out. And boy, has he, he is on a two fight winning streak. He is a king of the cage and ultimate fighter alum. I've been following him ever since the ultimate fighter house. Seven of his 21 wins are via submission. Seven of his 13 losses are also via submission, which is very interesting. <clears throat> now Giga has a kickboxing style. He trains at a King's MMA. He has a third Don black belt and Goju Ryu karate. And all of his last four fights have been fighter of the night or performance of the night. He'd been getting paid. He'd been showing out. He'd been boosting his stock. And with the guys that show out so often, this is a certified scrap, a certified banger. Giga was the 2021 breakout fighter of the year. He is on a one fight losing streak, but is seven and two in the UFC. 
He is also a World Series of Fighting and Dana White Contender Series alum. Now again, Giga has not fought in a year and a half. His loss uh, to Calvin Cater definitely left some question marks for him. Everyone thought he was on his way to a title fight, was invincible. Calvin proved differently. And Alex has looked really, really good in this past year. Both men are in the window where their time is now. If they want to continue to climb up the rankings and have a shot at a title, you cannot take a loss. I expect a very, very close back and forth striking showdown over the course of all three rounds. I do think it's going to be a three round decision fight, but I am taking Bruce Leroy and again, avoiding him in a parlay. These fights are razor thin, which should make for a pretty solid card. Although it's not superstar stacked or a pay-per-view event. Um, and the Shooka Show ain't there promoting it. You know what I'm saying? Then in the co-main, we have Anthony Lionheart Smith, the 35-year-old fighter with a 36-18 and 18 record and the number eight next to his name, taking on Ryan Superman Span, the 31-year-old fighter with a 21-8 and eight record and the number 10 next to his name. Now here we get a rematch from a fight that happened two years ago where Lionheart made slight work of Superman, got to his neck, got the rear naked choke in the first round. And I'm sure that Ryan has worked on his grappling overall, worked on that defense since since then. But Ryan really does his best work as a power striker, gets the guys down, then goes in for the submission victory. Now Anthony trains out of Factory X. He has a black belt in BJJ. He is a Strike Force, Bellator, RFA, and Cage Fury alum. He was a former Cage Fury, champ Cage Fury champion. He is on a two-fight losing streak. <clears throat> he has not won since September of 2021. 20 of his 36 wins are via knockout. It's a lot of knockouts, a lot of wins. 14 of his 36 wins are via submission. So 34 of his 36 wins are via finish. I mean, come on, what a record that is. And 10 of his 8 losses, 10 of his 18 losses are via submission. Ryan, he trains out of Fortis MMA. He has a blue belt in BJJ. He's a Legacy FC Dana White Contender Series two-time alum and an LFA alum and former champion. He's on a one-fight losing streak and is 3 and 2 since 2021. 12 of his 21 wins are via submission, and he does have a three-inch reach advantage in this fight. I do think there is a real possibility the longer the fight goes, there will be an opportunity or window for Ryan to take advantage and land the knockout fight-ending uh, shot. I would not be surprised if he rushed Anthony early to try to force the, the fight to be close, close that distance um, so Anthony can't keep him at range. I do think that's going to be the strategy for Lionheart. <clears throat> Keep the big, powerful Superman at a distance. Try to pick apart, you know, frustrate him a little bit where he can get an opportunity to have him up against a cage and get a sweep, get a takedown, make it another jujitsu match and get a finish. For that reason, I'm taking the underdog. I'm taking Anthony Smith. I am putting him on a parlay. We marking that ish down and we getting that bread. Moving on. The main event, the man that is really got me fired up to tune in, maxed, blessed Holloway, the 31-year-old fighter with a 24-7 record and the number one next to his name, taking on Chan, the Korean zombie, Sung Joon, 
the 36-year-old fighter with a 17-7 and record and the number 8 next to his name in his retirement fight in enemy territory in his home country max holloway's in enemy territory now as much fun as it is to see another max holloway fight this is a very lopsided affair especially where the korean zombies at at this stage in his career i do think max will play a little bit into the fight put on a show because that's who he is and that's what he does but for the Korean zombie, he's got a, a lot ahead of him. It's a, a big ask to, to try to handle uh, one of the best fighters in the game right now. Now, Max has accolades for days. We are going to be talking for a minute. So let's start ripping into him. He's got a brown belt in BJJ. He is a former featherweight champion and had three successful title defenses. When it comes to these stats, he's pretty much number one, two, and three in every fight or every category here. He's demolished uh, statistics in his Jose Aldo fight, which was, um, I believe, lightweight. Calvin Cater um, in featherweight and also Dustin Poirier at lightweight. But here we go. He has the highest significant strike differential in UFC championship history at uh, over 180 strikes against Brian Ortega in that title fight. He's the first American to win the UFC featherweight championship. 11 of his last 12 fights have been fight of the night or a title fight. Let me say that again. 11 of his last 12 fights have either been a title fight or a fight of the night or bonus of the night. I mean, Max Holloway is that guy. He is tied with Cub Swanson and Yair Rodriguez for the most post-fight bonuses in featherweight division history with nine of them things. <clears throat> He's got the longest winning streak in UFC featherweight division history with 13. He has the most wins in featherweight division history with 19. The most KOs in featherweight division history with 8. The most finishes in featherweight history with 10. The most significant strikes in UFC history with over 3,122. Most significant strikes landed in UFC featherweight division history, 2,817. Most total strikes landed in UFC history, 3,366. Also, most total strikes landed in featherweight history at 3,021 because he's fought in other classes. Most total fight time in UFC featherweight history with over 6 hours and 37 minutes. Highest strike differential in a UFC in a fight in UFC history with plus 312 against Calvin Cater. Most significant strikes landed in UFC history with over 445 against Calvin Cater. Most significant strikes attempted in that Calvin Cater fight at 744. Most significant strikes landed in a UFC lightweight and featherweight fight. In the featherweight fight, it was 744 against Calvin. In the lightweight fight, it was 444 against Dustin Poirier. He also has the most distance strikes landed in a fight in UFC history, 439 against Calvin Cater. He has the most significant head strikes landed in a UFC history, in a UFC fight and featherweight history, which was 274 against Calvin Cater. He also has the most significant body strikes landed, which was the same fight. It's a UFC history record and featherweight record at 117. And then the most total strikes landed in that same fight, which is a UFC record and featherweight record at 447. And then he has the most strikes attempted in a UFC history, 
Lightweight and featherweight records at 746. Most significant strikes landed in a round in UFC history. He had 141 in that cater fight. Most significant strikes attended in a UFC featherweight division history in a round. He had 212 in round three against Jose Aldo. He also has the 2021 UFC Forrest Griffin Community Award. So he bangs, but he puts on for the community. He is on a one-fight winning streak and is 3-1 since 2021. He was the 2017 Fighter of the Year, and 10 of his 24 wins are via knockout. And he does have a 3.5-inch leg reach advantage in this fight. Now, the Korean Zombie trains out of MMA Fight Ready, the Korean Zombie MMA Fight Ready. He has a black belt in Judo and BJJ. He has a third Don black belt in Hapkido a second Don Black Belt in Taekwondo. Seven of his last 11 fights have been fight of the night or performance of the night. He has the fastest finish in UFC featherweight division history, which was seven seconds. He's the first fighter in UFC history to finish a twister submission. He had the 2011 submission of the year against Leonard Garcia, which I believe was that twister. 2012 fight of the year against Dustin Poirier. He's on a one fight losing streak and is one and one since 2021. Hasn't fought that that much. I believe he had some COVID issues. Eight of his 17 wins are via submission and six via knockout. So 13 of his 17 wins via finish. Four of his seven losses are via knockout. And he was a WEC alum or is. Now the Korean zombie is definitely a durable fighter. He does get creative with the strikes. You know, he has all those black belts and different martial arts. But Max is going to have such a big footwork, speed, and age advantage. Max has taken a ton of shots in his career. You never know if the Korean zombie finds one home when the brain and the head's taken too many shots. I am not betting on that. I am taking Max Holloway, but he's such a big favorite. It doesn't benefit really betting on it. But that's the main event. Let's see if Max can add to his resume. Let's see if he plays a little bit of showman. I'll be tuning in. Wake up, have a cup of coffee, UFC Singapore. And then next weekend, we have another international fight night card that's going to be an early card in the afternoon. That is going to be in Paris, headlined by Surogan and Sergey Spivak. What a stacked week of MMA. UFC 292 and the Sugar Show put out. Uh, we will break down UFC Singapore. I will be back in the, in the valley, back in Phoenix. And we will talk more MMA action and update ourselves on the Contender Series as the episode happens tonight, which is after I've recorded this. But I'm your host, Shane Gillette, episode 12 of Bows and TKOs. See you next week.